We're going to begin by reading what directly preceded the crucifixion account early that morning. And we're going to start by uh, reading Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And again, we'll, all these different passages we're going to put up on the screen as well. But Mark 15, verses 1 through 5. Uh, immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Jesus at this point has been up all night. He has not gotten one bit of sleep. Not too many hours before this, he had celebrated Passover with his disciples. He had washed his disciples' feet. He had identified Judas as his betrayers, but the other disciples at the time didn't get it. Uh, This caused Judas to leave after Satan entered him, set in motion plans to hand Jesus over to the religious leaders. Jesus then, after leaving that Passover meal with his disciples, gave some powerful teachings recorded for us in John chapters 14 through 16. He prayed a powerful prayer to his father recorded for us in John chapter 17, had gone with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed through the night while three of his disciples slept, who were supposed to be watching and praying with him. You ever read some of these things and you feel a little bit better about yourself? You're like, you know what, even these guys, I mean, they had been with Jesus three years, even they couldn't stay awake to pray. But some point in that night, Judas came with the mob to betray Jesus. Jesus was arrested and put through an unjust trial by the religious leaders, was beaten by them. After their unjust trial was when they brought Jesus then to Pilate, the Roman governor there, accusing Jesus falsely of perverting the nation, forbidding people to pay taxes to Caesar, and and making Jesus really look like he was starting a rebellion as king of the Jews. But the interesting thing is how Jesus conducted himself. These false accusations are being thrown at Jesus, but he remains silent. Pilate asked him if he's the king of the Jews, and Jesus says, it is as you say. You got it, dude, in the words of Michelle, or not Michelle Tanner, whoever the little one of the twins was. You got it, dude. That's basically what Jesus is saying here to Pilate. Anyways, getting off track. Jesus doesn't go on to defend himself after that, when the chief priests continued with their accusations, and and this caused Pilate to marvel, because in any other situation, a person facing a possible death sentence would be defending themselves vehemently in order to save their own life, but Jesus did not do that. And really, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. It says there, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. These words by Isaiah over 700 years before Jesus. Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, was being led to the slaughter unjustly, and yet he did it willingly, without complaint, without trying to get out of it, because he knew why he had come into this world. Can you imagine if during this, Jesus is like, I don't really like these people that much. I didn't really want to come in the first place. We'd feel pretty bad if Jesus was a reluctant Savior. But he was not a reluctant Savior. He was a passionate Savior who, whose face was set for months before this even took place to be in Jerusalem to accomplish what he had been sent to do by the Father, a plan from eternity past that required him to lay down his life for us. And he did it joyfully for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Jesus knew why he was sent in order to die for the sins of humanity. Let's read on in Mark's gospel, continuing on in verse 6 of Mark chapter 15. Now at the feast, he was accustomed, this is speaking of Pilate, accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Interesting note here, Pilate knew that the religious leaders were envious of Jesus, and that was why they wanted to kill him. And so when the time came to offer a, up a prisoner to be released on Passover, Pilate gave the crowd the option between Barabbas, who was a known murderer, and Jesus. And if there had been a moment where you would think the people would sort of snap out of their mob mentality, it would be right now. Barabbas, again, a known murderer, an insurrectionist, Jesus was known as a powerful teacher and healer and prophet who cast out demons and raised people from the dead and went around doing good and preaching about the kingdom of God. One was a murderer and rebel and one was the giver of life who perfectly lived out and fulfilled the law of Moses. The guilty was being set free and the innocent was being sentenced to crucifixion. But there's a picture here for us, and this picture is of us. 
We are all Barabbas. We are the sinners who should have gotten the punishment for our own sins, and yet we were the ones being set free, and Jesus, the sinless one, took the punishment and the judgment that belonged to all of us. But after Barabbas was released, Jesus was scourged and sentenced and sent off to be crucified. I don't want to get overly graphic here for the sake of the kids in this room. But this scouring, uh, scouring, this scourging would sometimes kill the person before they ever even got to the Roman cross. 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails, that cat of nine tails being embedded leather with rocks and pieces of metal and bone that would be set into the straps. 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails would wrap around the back and the sides and the stomach, even the legs of the person, would remove chunks of flesh, exposing even internal organs. And this would cause not only a loss of blood, but the person who's being scourged to go into shock. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6 spoke prophetically of this. Speaking from the standpoint of the Messiah, we're told in Isaiah 50 verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. We know that Jesus had already been beaten in the face, but Isaiah makes it clear, though the gospel accounts don't tell us this explicitly, that his beard had been ripped out of his face. This along with the crown of thorns that they had formed and pressed into his skull and and beat with a a rod, or a, a reed, I should say, a stick, being pressed into his skull, Jesus was really just a a bloody mess at this point. John's gospel tells us that Pilate brought Jesus back out after the scourging and told the crowd, behold the man. Which tells us that Jesus was unrecognizable after all he had endured at this point. Isaiah gives us more insight into this We're told in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, all the way through chapter 53, verse 3, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, I don't know how often you use that word, I don't, it just means his face, his appearance, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. All of this was fulfilled here, marred 
meaning to inflict severe bodily harm. He was marred more than any man. No one sticking up for him, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This was Jesus. People hid, they turned away their faces from him. And now Jesus, who was weak from losing blood, in shock from all of the torture he had already endured after being mocked by soldiers in the praetorium, was going to be led out to Calvary or Golgotha to be crucified. Let's continue in Mark chapter 15, now in verses 20 through 25. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. So Jesus was made to carry part of his cross with the help of a man who was in Jerusalem, probably there to celebrate Passover. And before putting him on the cross, they stripped him naked to further humiliate Jesus. And the, and the soldiers there gambled to see who would get Jesus' garments And even this was a fulfillment of prophecy. We're told this in Psalm chapter 22, verses 16 through 18. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing. They cast lots. David, writing that chapter, wrote this about 1,000 years. 1,000 years before Jesus ever even lived. Hundreds of years before the Romans ever even invented death by crucifixion. And yet this was fulfilled perfectly in Jesus' crucifixion. The the pain of crucifixion would be unimaginable, but, but usually the person crucified would actually die, not from pain, but from suffocation. His hands and his feet would be pierced in a way where he would have to push on the nail through his feet and and pull on the nails that were through his wrists to allow for him to take a breath of air after his chest muscles gave out from exhaustion. And in fact, oftentimes when we see a cross or we see some sort of resemblance of Jesus being crucified, we see him upright, don't we? But likely what happened was that his body would have been turned slightly, pivoting at the hips. Jesus' knees would actually be bent at an angle And he would be pierced like this, making it uh, not only uncomfortable, but even harder for him 
to push himself up to get a breath of air once he was unable to breathe because of his muscles giving out. This is what Jesus went through physically on the cross. But there was more. Continuing in Mark chapter 15 and verse 26 through 32, we're told in the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. You just picture this moment. There was not one person that had Jesus' back. Even the other criminals who were being murdered on the cross or being executed for their crimes, even they were reviling Jesus in this moment. Again, we see prophecy being fulfilled here. In verse 28 of that passage we just read in Mark, Mark is quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 10, Jesus being crucified between two criminals was a fulfillment of Jesus being numbered with the transgressors. But even what the chief priests and others were saying was a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, Psalm chapter 22, verses 6 through 8, again, A thousand years before Jesus even lived, David wrote this, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. We know, though, that even in the midst of Jesus being mocked and ridiculed and spit upon, that Jesus was asking his Father to forgive them. That even after these other two men crucified next to him mocked him, that one had a change of heart. And that Jesus told that criminal that that day he would be with Jesus in paradise. Even from the cross, When everyone was against him, Jesus was ministering to others, interceding for others. But continuing on in Mark chapter 15 and verses 33 through 39. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, just translated, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. That someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. 
And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Besides all the physical things that Jesus had endured before the cross and now while nailed to the cross, there was a far greater spiritual suffering and pain and weight that Jesus was enduring. We know that on the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, he was sinless, blameless, innocent, had all of the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future, placed upon him. All the guilt, all the shame, all the heaviness that goes along with all of that sin was there upon Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. From the cross, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a prophetic fulfillment of Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Darkness was over the whole land. For half of that six hours that Jesus, Jesus was hanging there on the cross, as Jesus experienced momentary separation and perfect fellowship with his Father because of our sins. See, sin separates. That's what it does. So while Jesus hung on that cross and all of our sins were weighing upon Jesus as our substitute, again, he experienced temporary separation from the Father, from perfect fellowship, oneness that he had always had with his Father so that we wouldn't have to experience eternal separation from the Father in hell as a result of us dying in our own sins. And not only that, but upon the cross, Jesus became our propitiation, which means that he received the wrath of God that was meant for you and me because of our sin. He endured the judgment of the punishment of God so that we could be pardoned and delivered from eternal judgment because of our sin. We, we learn more divine insights about what Jesus endured upon the cross in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, and then in verses 10 through 12 of that same chapter. First, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verses 10 through 12, it goes on to say, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So upon the cross, Jesus bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the discipline for our peace was upon him. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. His soul become became an offering for sin as he bore the sin of many. But it pleased the Lord to do this. It pleased the Lord to do this. See, though Jesus received physical stripes, we receive healing spiritually through what Jesus went through. The Father was pleased to do this because Jesus' sacrifice has brought about true and complete atonement, forgiveness of sins for any who will put their faith in Jesus. Jesus, the righteous servant, has justified, has made many righteous. He poured out his soul unto death so that we could be made alive now and be given eternal life forever with him in his presence. And when Jesus cried out for a final time on the cross, he cried it is finished, which is the Greek word tetelestai. See, that was a term that merchants would use in that day to let someone know that their debt had been paid in full. Upon the cross, Jesus finished the work that he had been sent to do. He finished everything needing to be taken care of so that you and I could be brought into a new covenant relationship with the Father by grace through faith in the Son, Jesus, and what He's done for us. There is nothing left needing to be done to provide salvation for you and for me because Jesus finished the work that He was sent to do. He paid our debt in full upon that Roman cross. That the greatest sacrifice and price that could ever be paid was paid in Jesus giving his life on our behalf. That the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom when Jesus gave up his spirit because it was God who tore it. That separation has been removed by God himself. We all now have equal and full access to God because of what Jesus has done for us. Guys, the only thing keeping us separated from God is our unwillingness to come to Him on His terms. If we're lacking salvation, if we're lacking in the grace of God, if we're lacking forgiveness, it's not because Jesus is unwilling. He's told us what we can do. He's made it possible for us. He's provided the way. He's taken that thing that was against us and he's, he's stamped it with his blood to say, look, I've done it for you. I paid your debt. 
And the only thing that's keeping you and me out of heaven is you and me. If we don't make it in. It's not him. He wants us to come to him. And he's made it possible by what he provided through us, provided for us through his death. But let's read this final part of the account in, in Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Even Jesus' burial in a rich man's tomb was a fulfillment of prophecy that we find in Isaiah 53 verse 9. But this was a brave and bold move on Joseph of Arimathea's part. Bold and brave, not because he was going to a Roman official to ask for the body of Jesus. It was a bold and brave move because it would have meant excommunication from the Sanhedrin that he was a part of. It would have meant being ostracized by his own people for choosing to identify as a follower of Jesus in this way by taking Jesus' body down. And burying Jesus' body in his own family tomb. But this was the end of what we commonly call Good Friday. The worst day to ever happen in human history is also the best day. It was the worst for Jesus. I mean, it couldn't have gotten worse. Think about those times when you've sinned and you felt the weight of your sin upon you the guilt, the shame, and multiply that billions and billions and billions of times. And to know that that's what Jesus was experiencing upon the cross. Why? Because he loves us. Because he wants to save us. (laughs) The worst day for Jesus was the best for you and for me. This this is a day of remembrance. It's It's a sobering day as we consider what Jesus endured and accomplished for us. It's a powerful day as Jesus' death has brought us, you know, brought each of us who know him personally life, real life, eternal life. It's a day to be drawn to an even deeper place of love and appreciation and and worship of our Savior who demonstrated his love for us on the cross and it's a day maybe for some to be confronted with the reality of what Jesus has done and to and to hear that there's an invitation in that sacrifice because you know some of us maybe we've heard and we've grown sort of desensitized 
to the message of the cross. And maybe we've grown complacent, maybe there's some compromise, maybe even for some of us there's been some, some waywardness of the soul. It, and the, the reality of what Jesus has done is an invitation for some maybe tonight to return to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. For others, maybe if there's anybody here that's never just first opened their heart to Jesus and invited him in to be their Savior and Lord, maybe tonight is a night to make a decision. Maybe a hard decision. It may be a, a, a decision that, you know, there, you don't have all the pieces there. Maybe it's a, in that step of faith to open your heart to Jesus. It's not like, hey, I have this perfect faith, but I'm going to come to Jesus with what faith I have. And I'm going to put my trust in him as my savior. And maybe for some tonight, it's, it's a moment to make a decision to, to receive the forgiveness and salvation that Jesus has provided for us. He's provided for you. And so I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And I just want to give that invitation tonight. Again, we're going to take communion. They're going to, these guys are going to play a song here in a moment, and the, uh, the ushers are going to come forward during that song, and they're going to bring the communion elements to you all. But I want to give an opportunity tonight. Is Jesus calling out to you? That reality that it is finished for you, that your debt's been paid in full. Maybe for some tonight, there's just there's that moment where between you and the Lord, you know He's calling out to your heart and saying, Look, like I I want you. You know, maybe, maybe everyone in this room is just solid with the Lord and everything's great, but I would hate to let this moment pass not give this invitation. And so as everyone prays with me right now, Lord, I just pray. I pray for those here present tonight. Lord, I pray for those who have joined us online. Lord, you know the state of each heart. God, you know those who, Lord, they're, they're just loving you tonight. and They're just stoked on you. Everything's great in their relationship with you. Lord, you know those who came and maybe they've made a decision, but Lord, they're not feeling very confident. Lord, maybe somewhere in there they've gotten sort of a wrong idea that they have to gain your approval somehow. Yes, they've made a decision, they've prayed a prayer, but maybe tonight they're, they're walking in this sort of lack of confidence, feeling like, I don't know, like if today was my last day, I don't know that I would go to heaven. That, Lord, tonight they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that they have received the salvation of Jesus, that, Lord, you've written their name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, maybe for others, that, God, they're the prodigal, Lord. They've been wandering. They've made a decision for you. They know, Lord, that they have veered off track. And that Jesus, as they consider what, they, what you've done for them, that tonight they're just going, man, Lord, like, I'm wrong. I'm in the wrong, Lord. 
like the prodigal in the, in the, in the account that Jesus, you, you gave, that they're off sort of like in a far off country, they're living off a of pig slop, thinking that that's going to be the thing that satisfies them, and they're having maybe a moment of realization tonight that they're a son or a daughter in the house of God who is off somewhere else when they should be home with their father. And Lord, maybe you're calling some to return, to recommit. Lord, maybe even for some others, they've never just, they've never opened their heart to you. Maybe not truly, Lord. They've never repented of their sin. They've never asked you to be their savior, to forgive them, Lord. They've never surrendered their lives to you. Lord, that tonight they would be convicted and convinced Lord, their hearts just wide open before you to know, Lord, that you love them. And Jesus, you paid the price for them. Lord, that they wouldn't let this opportunity to pass them by. And so I've kind of thrown out a, a blanket sort of, there's, there's several different places potentially that someone could be at. But if you're in the camp tonight and you're just feeling like, man, I'm not feeling very confident. I, maybe you've fallen into sort of a, a works-based sort of relationship with the Lord. And you're just, you're needing the Lord to just instill some confidence in you tonight. That your name is there. That book of life, your name is there. Would you raise your hand if that's you? And you, you've come tonight and you're just feeling like, man, like, I'm struggling. I just, I don't know where I'm really at with the Lord. Maybe for you, you're in that place where you've wandered, you're, you're living in that foreign land, but you know, you, you know at, in your heart of heart, you're a son or daughter of the King of Kings. You've been settling for less than God's best, thinking that that's going to be the thing that satisfies you, and it isn't, and it never will. And Jesus is saying, come back. Is that anybody tonight you need to... Make that decision, you raise your hand. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else, you're going, that's me. I need to return to my good shepherd tonight. I'm a straying sheep. I just encourage you even now in your heart that you would just say, Jesus, I've been off, Lord. You know me. You know where I've been. My heart's been in a distant land, so to speak, Lord. I'm returning to you. Jesus, I surrender afresh and anew to you tonight. Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, restore the joy of my salvation. Restore, Lord, that closeness of fellowship with the Father. Cleanse me of my sin, Lord. Help me to live for you. Help me to walk closely with you. Maybe for some others tonight and you don't have that personal relationship with the Lord at all. And you're going, look, tonight, I want to make that decision. I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is that anybody this evening? Would you raise your hand where you're at to just say, that's me? I want Jesus to save me. I want my debt to be paid in full. I want my guilt and my shame to be washed away. Maybe even online tonight, there's someone, that's, that's you. 
and you know it's you and you know the Lord is putting his finger on the door of your heart even now saying, I want, I want in. I want you to let me in. I'm good. That you would humble yourself before the Lord and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Jesus, I repent. I turn away from my sin tonight. I turn in faith to you. Save me, Jesus. Be my Savior. Be my King. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my friend. And Father, would you seal me with your Holy Spirit? Would you write my name tonight in the Lamb's book of life? That I would know that Jesus, when I breathe my last, or you come in the clouds, that Jesus, I will be with you forever. Not because of what I've done, but Jesus, because of what you've done for me. Your great grace. Jesus, I receive you tonight and all that that means for my life. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. And Jesus, tonight, I put my faith in you. I just encourage you, if you've done that, the Lord gives confidence in his word. You will be saved. Those that have made that decision to recommit that the Lord tonight is going, I've forgiven you. I've restored you. I've cleansed you. Maybe for some tonight, you just were lacking in confidence, and then tonight the Lord's just going, I've got you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, thank you. We love you. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.